This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 91. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 91 you're listening to, and it's brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Universal Audio, Focal Monitors, and Audio-Technica. Great to be back with you. Have on a little bit different show for you today. We're going to venture down the path of game audio. Yep, it's been a long time coming, and uh, it's, it's definitely, it's due time we have on a game audio professional. So I have on Mr. Camden Stoddard today, and uh, he's known for his work on the, the following titles, uh, Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, Massive Chalice, Broken Age, Costume Quest Two, The Cave, Middle Manager of Justice, Iron Brigade, Stacking, Brutal Legend. Just a handful of things that he has done. He is the audio director over at Double Fine Games, which, of course, is a gaming company. Uh, They are known for Headlander, uh, Psychonauts 2, and uh, Full Throttle, as well as uh, some of the other ones I mentioned, Broken Age, Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango. Anyways, I got to be honest with you. Gaming is not something that I am prone to, although I am known to dabble in... Uh, Star Wars Battlefront with my kids, which I thoroughly enjoy. And of course, you know, it's a no-brainer to get that being a Star Wars fan. You know, I really get a lot of my information about games, not only from my own kids, but I get it from a lot of my professional friends who deal in audio for games. So Camden Stoddard coming up. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We are in the planning stages of the 100th show party. We're going to be doing it at uh, 25th Street Studios in Oakland. Of course, we've had on John Schimpf, uh, studio manager of 25th Street on. And John and his crew are really hooking us up and really helping us put together a fantastic evening. So it's going to be split into two parts. The first part is going to be a live interview streamed over the internet. The guest is yet to be announced. We have to confirm the guest or guests. So that's going to be in front of a live audience. And uh, we'll stream it, as I've said. I'm not sure of which site we're going to stream it through. We haven't made that decision. But uh, anyways, it'll be kind of a a tonight show, late night show kind of setup, you know, me at the desk with the microphone, the guests uh, coming out, and then, of course, the audience. So that'll be cool. And then afterwards, we're just going to have a big party. Now, the taping or the uh, the live stream is going to be an invite only. And obviously, you know, if you're in the Bay Area, then that's that's one thing. But if you're not, that's another The live stream will be an invite thing. We're just going to invite, we only have a few seats, and so we're going to invite some audio professionals, mostly Bay Area WCA guests and a few few other people that uh, we feel need to be there, those who help out on the show, et cetera. And then it's going to be a big party afterwards, and that's going to be, you know, just kind of a everybody come. And the idea is, you know, we're going to have some beer and wine. We'll have a food truck outside. I think we're going with a... uh, a pizza truck that actually cooks pizzas in um, a traditional pizza oven behind, towed behind the truck. So that's going to be fun. A lot of other details will come into play uh, as far as potential prizes and sponsors. We're just kind of dialing all that stuff in. I can't give you the full detail yet, but it's going to be a good time. When is this going to be? Uh, let's see. When is it going to be? That's a really good question. This is going to take place... Let's see if I got this right. Looks like on November 18th, that's a Friday. Uh, usually I release the show on a Monday. So uh, we'll have a special edition podcast at the beginning of that week, and uh, which will highlight some of the stuff we're going we're gonna to be doing. There it is. Yeah, the party, 100, coming up, coming up. Now today, if you're, if you're listening to this, uh, this is the week of our two-year birthday. Thursday the 15th is the two-year birthday anniversary of the show starting so that's going to be cool we'll uh you know we'll put out a post or two and you know say you know happy birthday and all that but uh yeah so two years that's a good deal that's coming up uh let's see what else do we got going on you know on the website at workingclassaudio.com let's go there right now because i just want to highlight a couple things to you working class there we go it's already pre-filled you know, over on the website, uh, we are making some changes here and there. You may have noticed there is a new uh, podcast player uh, underneath each picture of each guest. 
you might want to check that out. It makes it easier to play, makes it easier to download and share. So that's a good thing. And also, we have a new player. If you go to the WCA podcast archive, there is a single player there that will allow you to browse through all of the episodes. And you really don't have to move your mouse much because it's just all right there in a self-contained player. So make sure and check that out. Uh, a couple other features I wanted to tell you about. We've kind of renewed the interest in you know getting people to sign up. So we have uh, you know an email list. I'll be honest with you, I don't email a lot of emails out to uh, our, our listeners. I try to keep that to a minimum because I know you get a lot of emails and that's, you know, when you're getting inundated with emails, that's kind of a pain in the ass. I don't like to get all that and I doubt you do either. So when it comes time to uh, doing some prize giveaways, which we're really going to try to focus on more here in the, not only leading up to the 100th episode, but beyond the 100th episode, because obviously, you know, there's there's some growth there and some ideas that I want to exercise as the podcast has become more downloaded, more successful as time has gone on. You know, sign up, become part of the deal. And, uh, you know, I promise I'm not going to inundate you with emails and uh, spam me a bunch. But when we have something cool going on, you'll know about it. I've got lots of cool stuff planned here for our future at Working Class Audio. Uh, really going to dig into the website and uh, do some new stuff. And I and I hope that uh, once we get all of that done, you'll dig that. You know, a lot of the times when you have something that you enjoy, uh, the content creators who provide you that enjoyment usually screw it up by completely gutting and changing everything. And I'm going to try not to do that to you. I'm going to try to keep things consistent. You know, if there's certain things on the website you'd like to see different, feel free to email me, matt at workingclassaudio.com. I'd love to hear from you. But other than that, we're going to try to, you know, stay on a similar track and we'll modify the site as we go uh, because we definitely have some uh, new content we're going to be providing here after the 100th episode. Well, let's get into the whole game sound thing. Audio director Camden Stoddard here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You are officially the first game audio person to be on the podcast. Honored. I was trying to win favor with my kids, and I was like, hey, so uh, Camden Stoddard's going to be on, and um, anyhow, he's worked on this game, this game, this game, this game, and my oldest was like, yeah, I've heard of that, and I've heard of that. Yeah, that's cool, Dad. <laughs> yeah, he didn't give me the satisfaction I was looking for. Yeah. It's great to have you on because this is a world that I think a lot of audio folks maybe consider when things aren't going so well, making mm -hmm. records, mm -hmm. and they start to think, hey, maybe I should get into game audio. I watched bits and pieces, primarily the parts you were in, of the documentary for Broken Age and the development of that game mm -hmm. and that company. And I got to tell you, man, I got stressed yeah. watching it. I got yeah. really stressed. And you seem stressed in many parts of it. Yeah. And that is a ton of work and it involves a large amount of people. And therefore it involves not only a certain set of skills, but a certain personality, a certain set of diplomatic skills. <laughs> when you say, you know, records aren't working out and maybe I can jump into games. I don't know if I'd recommend that because it might be like, jumping into a fire and adding more stress to your life because game audio has been around for a while now, but it's really only, I feel, has come into its own in like the past 15 years or so. It's kind of a little newborn audio direction um, and people are still figuring stuff out. One of the main things that I feel they're figuring out is workflow because you're working with so many other people concurrently other departments. Getting that to work right, as you saw in the documentary, is a trick. It is definitely a trick. How many other people, on average, were you working with, for example, on Broken Age? Game audio is interesting because games games, and game companies are so completely different. Like, uh, you can have an independent game that's made by two people. In fact, I just talked to a guy who did that. He handled uh, most of like the situational programming for gameplay, but he also did all the audio. And then you can have like Blizzard where you could have, you know, or a huge company like that where you could have like a 35-person audio team out of like uh, a company of 2,000. So it varies a lot. At our company, we're kind of an interesting, Double Fine is kind of an interesting company because we kind of set in between that. We, a lot of people call us, um, instead of indie or AAA, they call us I. We're like independent in between AAA. We've averaged about 50 people 
in the office. The audio team hasn't been anywhere from uh, two people to four. We have a lot of artists. We have a lot of programmers. We have a lot of animators. There's a lot of departments going on at the same time that I have to communicate with all the time. I'm not really clear about the development process, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through that in, in chunks. Again, it varies in different companies. My approach is start broad and then start whittling down to finer details. It also depends on who's leading the project. I've worked with different project leaders on games, and they approach audio in different ways. My favorite approach has been they get me in immediately, like to the stage where they're just doing concept art. Like there isn't even a a running game yet, but they'll start sending me art and I'll start sketching to that. Like I'll bring in this uh, totally static picture of an environment or um, a house or something. And I'll start thinking about what that's going to sound like. So they involve me very early. One of the project leads here is like, you know, once you get in music or once you get in sound, even if it's just an area that's like white box, it's just geometric shapes. Once the sound is in, he's like, you have a game. So he likes to get sound in as early as possible because the animators, the programmers, or everything, they're listening and they start getting inspired. It starts feeling like a living thing. So to him, audio is super important. He said once things start making sound or they have music behind them, then it feels alive. Then it feels like something's going on. I've had other project leads who they don't like having audio in until everything is set up and things are moving and you actually have characters walking around. So it really depends. My personal feel is I like to get in as early as possible, start doing you know ambient soundscapes, and then you start looking at characters, you start looking at actions, vehicles, whatever, and you start designing for those and you start whittling things down. Then eventually you're going to go into like game states, which is around sound relationships based upon action. So like uh, if your character comes into a room and he fights a big monster and wins, you have the sound relationships go a certain way. But if he goes into the same room later and the monster's not even there, but his friend is there and then they find some hidden treasure, the sounds have to be completely different. So you start thinking about all these relationships based upon gameplay. Like, what would happen in this scenario? What would you want the, the sound to do? Because that's the thing with games. I used, to tell, I used to tell students who would come by that it's kind of a nonlinear medium. So you're thinking more in terms of relationships. A game can act differently in the same area. So you have to think about various levels of sound for that, which can be hard. It can be hard to wrap your head around, especially while it's being built. Because I've had experiences where we'll be doing a game and there'll be a certain area and I know that they want this kind of sound for this kind of battle or whatever. And I'll do that and then I'll focus on another part of the game. But then I'll have to come back because that area I just completed has been redesigned. So I have to go back and kind of adjust sound for it. It's a very, very tricky way to work audio. It's kind of like surfing. You have to keep watching where the wave's going to go. That feeling like when you complete something, it's not really 100% until the game ships because at any point somebody could change their mind or Mm -hmm. an animation could change. And often do because the good game developers, especially once you get into an alpha state or, you know, the game's about 80% there, good game developers are constantly testing. They They have people who come in and test these games. And a lot of times the design or the gameplay of the game will change based upon these tests. Like, they'll get back, you know, a test report from people going, well, I wasn't really challenged here, and I found this very easy, so you might, you might make it a little harder, or you might have more enemies here, or so on and so forth. So the game is just constantly morphing while you're working on it. So it's quite a moving target. In my opinion, it's a very interesting audio medium because there's so many creative possibilities that you could do. And the software involved around parameter states and and changing the behavior of the sound that exists in the game is getting so good. I'm very excited about it. And (laughs) what I used to tell students who visited me is games are a nonlinear medium. Like, you know, movies, you have a beginning and middle and end. Games don't really work like that. But I thought about it. I'm like, well, actually, games are linear. There's just a whole bunch of it. And what you're doing is managing the relationships of those linear events. But that is now changing. Now there are games that are truly 
nonlinear because they actually design the sounds themselves, which is mind blowing. I went and looked at a a couple game presentations at GDC and some of the the big companies like Grand Theft Auto V, they have in-game synthesizer components that will make sounds. So it will generate its own ambience, which is not has nothing to do with you. All you're doing is like, you know, uh, talking about the programming relationships of the sound, but the game is actually sound designing itself. That is truly nonlinear art. So yeah, it's heading into some interesting, interesting areas. GDC for the listeners who aren't familiar with it is the game developers conference, which is all things games in development development of games. Hence the name Game Developers Conference. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the people, Mm -hmm. the people involved. Um, So the people involved obviously can vary based on the size of the company. Ultimately, who do you work for and how does that relationship begin? When you're working with a game, what you're doing is trying to get the vision of the project lead. So the person, uh, you could call them the game director, or I've, I've seen various titles, but it's the person leading that game project. That's really who you're technically working for because you're trying to find out his vision of what he wants this game to sound like. So you're constantly talking to him. If you go by structure, you're probably working for, you're probably working under the COO. You're probably reporting to him. If you're a sound designer, you are probably reporting to the audio director. I've seen it set up in various ways, especially it gets interesting when you have like a two-person team for the entire game. Like then everybody's working for each other because that's what they have. But, you know, the bigger you get, you have more titles, so on and so forth. Game-related, you work for the project director. You work for the guy who is um, thinking up what this game is and and leading everything. I've also seen sound designers and audio directors uh, reporting to a producer of the game. Okay, so it's not necessarily the project lead. He has a bunch of producers who are directly communicating with each department. So a producer could be, you know, um, talking to the programming department or the art department, so on and so forth. Depends on the company. But typically at Double Fine, I'm working for the project leader. Okay. As the game is developing, you know, you talked about looking at even still pictures in the beginning Mm -hmm. and gathering your ideas, I guess. In that way, depending on how the company dynamic is and how the how the development goes, the sound can influence the animators, but the animators can also influence the sound. Mm-hmm. And does it just constantly vacillate back and forth between, I w- in your case? I wish it did. It's more uh, visuals. Typically, it's more about visuals influencing sound. Mostly because uh, in workflow, sound is usually right at the last. It's usually me and the visual effects department. We're, we're kind of the post. And we come in after all art, animation, gameplay programming. They've kind of swept through an area. Then we come in and kind of polish it out. I have had other situations where because of timing or the animators are on something else, I've actually gone into sketched out areas that aren't fully polished animation wise and put sound in because I couldn't wait any longer. And that means I have to concentrate and talk with them as often as possible. But I have had people animate to my sound, which is not often done, but I love it when they do. And it gets really interesting. And I've had animators come up and go, you know, that was really, that was cool. I've never done that. I've never done visual character animation to a sound. They usually have visual components only, and then I come in and do the sound after they're done. So it's usually that kind of relationship. But uh, we have had that change uh, just based upon time pressure. So obviously in, in the sound in, that one experiences in a video game, you, you, you obviously have music. Mm-hmm. And I'm under the assumption that that is, in an ideal circumstance, is a whole separate person mm-hmm. composing. Yeah. Typically, the way I would want it is you would have a separate composer. You would want a separate sound designer. Uh, in a, a perfect world, you would want somebody handling the vocal pipeline. Typically, in big companies, there's dialogue department, there's sound effects department, music department. Often here, the lines blur. And I'm usually taking care of sound design and dialogue. And there's been one or two games where I've done composition as well. Nothing 
too big because I'm not a great composer and I just I wouldn't have enough time to do all that. But typically we have a composer come in and then I would talk to them directly about vision and musical ideas and uh, game state ideas because the, the music changes with the game. So there'll be certain areas where you'll have multiple different kinds of music in the same area, uh, just depending upon the situation. At our company, because our company is smaller, I'm usually doing a lot of the musical implementation as well as the sound design. So I'm, I'm literally funneling all of the sounds into the game, dialogue as well. Can you have, in a, in a particular scene of a game, will you have not only your, your sound design elements, like how somebody moves or, or footsteps or stuff like that, maybe trees shaking, but can you also have ambient tones mm-hmm. or, or ambient non-musical things going on that you have to make work with incoming music as well? Oh, very much so. That happened in the last game I worked on, Headlander. Headlander was a very satisfying soundscape for me creatively because like it takes place in space but it's 1970s space it's a really really interesting game it's kind of based on the old logan's run kind of science fiction oh yeah yeah very very cool uh dave earl who you know was the composer did some fantastic music for that game but i had to work very closely with him uh particularly in certain areas there was without spoiling too much there was a certain area where you go in and you're confronting a very, very powerful computer that's insane. It's just totally bonkers. And so we really did some interesting things with sound and music. We definitely had atonal uh, soundscape, ambient soundscapes going on. I was doing things like I recorded a bunch of the people who work here saying gibberish and syllables, and then I messed around with those recordings, pitched them down, reversed them, spliced them up into granular modulation and like put that into the ambient sound. And then Dave had his music. We kind of weaved his music around all that. We had, uh, I'm I'm trying to uh, speak about this without ruining the game for people. We had a certain area where when you went into the room, everything reversed So the dynamics of the music, the relationship of the sound design versus music, that also reversed uh, in conjunction with the uh, visuals reversing. It was very strange. And there was a lot of people who played this game and they were like, wow, that was bonkers. It was like walking into a a dolly painting. So there were some some really interesting things that happened in that game. And uh, I got really excited talking with the composer because we definitely figured out that the sound and the music had to have a very, very close relationship. It also was one of the hardest challenges of my career because for dialogue, because the entire set of characters in that game, I think there's 28 characters, but all of them are robots, except you. So I had to really think about that because there are certain areas where, you know, there are laser fights and battles and there's like, you know, there could be 50 characters running around on screen and they're all robots. And I had to figure out robotic processing for 28 characters so you could figure out who was talking. So I had to do these 28 levels of robotic processing. And I was like, I have never done that before. That's really wild. So I was doing like different forms of vocoding. You know, I found a a simulation for the old Cylon sound, but then I was doing more musical kind of vocoding. And then I was doing uh, stuff with like gating just so you knew which character was speaking at once because you could recognize their voice. It was very, very challenging. Man, an immense amount of creativity and challenges. Your brain must be working overtime in these, in these situations. It's hard to shut it off. That's what I've noticed with games because uh, we touched on this a bit in the documentary, but um, it can get a little unhealthy because the way game workflow happens, especially in uh, smaller companies without much resource or money or time, we run into what uh, is famously called crunch. And basically what it means is everybody's been working on kind of an alpha level and you hit this certain part of your development timeline where like things have to be done in four weeks. So all of a sudden people are like spending the night at work. And in games especially, that is notorious. During Broken Age, 
one of the stories here is I had a uh, sleeping bag in my office ready to go because I knew at some point I would be doing that. I would just be working here until I fell asleep and then I would get up and work. And the documentary crew really wanted to film that. They wanted to come in and like, you know, show Camden asleep in his office because he's so, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't let him do it because I said, you know, I really, I don't want to glamorize that. That is actually something that the games industry needs to figure out because it's very unhealthy. It's very hard on people. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's this thing that should be in the documentary because I don't, I don't want it to come off as important. I actually want to get away from that. And we, I remember the filmmakers, we, we had a discussion about that and they were like, yeah, no, you're right. That's uh, we're not going to do that. And we talk about crunch a lot in that documentary, but it's a problem. It's a problem in this industry uh, just because of what kind of animal video games are. You typically run into this bottleneck and it's really hard on people and it's really hard on their health. A lot of intensity involved. What do you do when you're faced with personality conflicts uh, with people in other departments? How do you get around that? Fortunately, I have not really run into that too often here uh once or twice there's there's been some there's been some issues and you just you kind of go into pro land you, you just be a professional luckily people i've had issues with they were super pro very professional and we figured out you know we were clashing but we had something to get done and we did it and we just you know sucked it up and kept working but yeah that's something we really pay attention to especially around the hiring process a big percentage of how we bring in here is what is this person going to be like if you're working with them, you know, in a 14 hour day, can you do it? And that's a big deciding factor. And in fact, uh, my teammate and I, we just uh, were talking to a third person that we want to bring on the team. And I remember the first day was great because we just hit it off. We just knew there was just this click, you know, you knew like, okay, this guy is great. But there have been other times where it's been rough. It's definitely been rough. And you have to focus on the work. You, you have to kind of let it go. And um, that can be challenging. There's so many parallels to, you know, first of all, in the music business, sure. I mean, it's, there's a parallel to touring. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, can, you, can you be in a van or a bus or, you know, if you're so lucky to be on a plane, touring with this person constantly for months? Right. Exactly. Will you get along? Obviously, there's, you know, relationship. It's like getting married. You know, you're going to be with this person a lot. Yes. And you have to work together. Under very intense situations. Can you talk to me a little bit about the delivery process for audio? Mm -hmm. um, we could go back to what you work in in a moment, but I'd like to talk a little bit about, like, ultimately what gets delivered. Okay. So, again, this... It does break down into what kind of company you're at because I've seen like I've seen large companies where you have a sound designer and that's what they do. They you know they make their sound, they complete it, they you know deliver it in forty eight sixteen waves or forty four sixteen waves. Typically, it's one of those, and they hand it over to the implementer or the programmer or whatever. In a smaller company, there's a lot of situations where I'm not delivering it to anybody. I'm putting it in the game. I'm doing the programming and the implementation because I have to. There's not enough people to do that. Basically, what you know, what it comes down to is I'll make something in Pro Tools, I'll create something, a creature sound or an ambient sound or whatever, but that's only like 30% of my work. And then the rest of it is determining where in the game it's going to go, how it's going to relate to what part of gameplay script. It goes into middleware like FMOD or WYS, which is a software that acts as like um, a sound bank and also um, determines the behavior of the sound that the game calls upon. So it's this running software that the game's like, okay, I need this impact sound now, and I need it a bit muffled. And it triggers it in that software, and the software plays the sound but adds a filter parameter. So it like it levels off the highs or whatever. So I have to put that in there and then it, it's like, it's like those three steps, creation, setting it into the middleware to set up parameter and behavior and then actual implementation into the script. And that's, that's how it gets delivered in. And in terms of audio size, you mentioned 44 one or 48 K mm -hmm. wave files that are 16 bit. Mm -hmm. 
is it ever smaller than that or is that it typical? used to be that's typical now uh i'm actually working on a legacy project right now i'm working on um the remaster of full throttle which is a old lucas arts game which was uh wonderful to work on because it was the game that got me interested in game audio back in 95 back then it was 22.8 it was super compressed it's been a challenge finding high resolution versions of the original sounds um, in fact, a lot of the sound design, I'm probably going to have to redo it because it just doesn't exist in 44.16 or 48.16. So I have to go in and kind of redo a lot of the sounds because uh, they're just so small and so compressed. And that's, that's it's been interesting uh, going through this old game and seeing how they used to do it because uh, because of the technology back then, they had to super cut it down. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I, I will say that when I when I came out of audio school... This was my first job right out of school. When I went into that school, I was thinking about being a music producer or even doing maybe some post work for movies. I hadn't really decided. And I didn't really decide on game audio until like the last two or three months of school. I got very interested in it. And uh, it was very interesting because my my school really didn't have much around game audio. They They hadn't really, they didn't have a curriculum for it. What school was this? Uh, this was Paramind. In, oh. in, yeah, this was Pyramind. And this is early days of Pyramind. This was uh, 2008. I took their first FMOD class. Okay. And I actually, I took the, the person who taught that class was Paul Lipson, who's now at Formosa and worked with Microsoft and everything. He was a great guy and uh, taught me a lot. But I remember uh, we were both like, wow, this is, this is an interesting software. It was like the first time that they had even looked at it. Uh, and it was just because it was, it hadn't really been taught anywhere yet and now it's getting much better like there's a lot of robust game audio classes and things at schools now but i remember when i got to double fine i had to learn a lot of stuff on site because it just wasn't being taught and they weren't really expecting me to know anything they they kind of knew like okay well you know about engineering you know about audio you know about sound design we'll teach you about the implementation side because I just, I had no experience. To really get that experience, you have to have a live build. And my school didn't have that. They didn't have that kind of relationship with a game company yet. So it was very interesting. A lot of the stuff that I learned was was when I showed up. And it's why I bring students over here and show them my process because I don't want them to be scared <laughs> of doing this stuff. I want to show them like, this is, this is what it is. And this is how you do it. And it's getting much better at schools now. Now they're, now they can actually work on, you know, sandbox builds and bring in middleware and implement sounds into games. It's, it's a lot better now. What shifted your focus away from being a music producer or dealing in, in ma- primarily making records? It was just, bottomless and I couldn't wrap my head around it, which tends to make me go towards that. I took a couple classes for sound design and games. And what it really was is they had some scenes from a game as a movie and you were doing sound design to that. But I started playing more games and I was like, uh, okay. So I only did like a 10th of what's going on in that room, depending on what's going on with the gameplay. So it really caught my attention that this was uh, an audio art form that just keeps changing. So I was fascinated by that. And I, and I think the concept just really hit me hard and I just couldn't think about anything else. And I started thinking more and more, well, maybe this is what I want to do because that, that to me is very, very interesting stuff. And I remember games not really sounding good. There was tons and tons of dynamic problems and, you know, bit rate problems and all this stuff but I was like, okay, that's going to get better. But the whole scenario of creating audio that just keeps changing because the, the game keeps changing, I loved that. I thought that was really cool. It, it's like going to see a movie, but the movie's different every time you watch it. The concept of sound design uh, really fascinates me. Um, can you talk a little bit about sound design and what's involved on when you're doing a big-time game? Mm. Yeah, um, I... I guess the thing that I try to impart on people who ask me about that is it's all about supporting emotional depth, especially, especially in games to me. But I have to say when students send me reels or they want to show me something like big, huge sounds, explosions, monsters, things like that, they don't really 
I mean, I they're impressive. They can be really cool, but it, I don't find that that triggers me like, oh, that's really skillful. Um, what I'm more interested in is very nuanced stuff. Like um, there's a dialogue between two characters and the wind going through the trees behind them or the way you drop all sound when she touches his cheek or something like that. I find that fascinating because then you're actually influencing emotional impact through sound. I got the uh, artists and the animators on my side because I did a scene from a movie three different ways. So it was always the same visual, but I did different sounds. I did one that was really loud, and then I did one that had very selective mixing uh, based upon touch or movement. And then I did one uh, where I was using filtering, very, very selective filtering. Like when the guy looks at the woman, everything just low passes out and becomes like a sound tunnel and everything. And they really got it. They were like, wow, each one of those are the same video, but it's different emotion in each one. And it's all because of the sound. So to me, that's what I like about sound. I, I think that's what sound design is, is you're, you're creating an emotional impact and uh, so to me, like sound is super important. And we're starting to get into an area with, with VR, with virtual reality. It's, like, it's becoming huge. You and, read my mind. I was yeah. going to ask you about that. Well, what's interesting about that and what I really like is upper management now is really starting to value the sound design department because they're figuring out in VR, sound is everything. Like, sure, it's visual and it's very huge. But if it doesn't sound right, the experience is a wash. It doesn't work. So you have, you have to have sound be dead on to the experience you're trying to drive in VR or the player just doesn't like it. It, it, it. Much more than like, you know, static than watching something on a TV. Because you're so immersed, the player just assumes that everything's going to sound right. And <laughs> if it doesn't, it, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. So I'm excited about that. That really opens a lot of opportunity. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the interview here with Mr. Camden Stoddard here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. It is time to take a sponsor break here with our friends over at Audio-Technica. And I do want to point out that they do have a rebate going on for some of their artist series mics. There's a banner on the right-hand side of the website. If you haven't been to the website, you got to go to the website. If you listen on iTunes and you've never been to the website, you really got to go. Anyhow, it's on the right-hand side. If you click it, it'll take you over to a page which lays out all the information about the rebate. They're giving away $30, $20, and $15 rebates on select microphones. And uh, this is for purchases made all the way up until December 31st of 2016. So if you're going to buy some mics, you know, and you're getting to the end of the year, obviously it's a good write-off. Get those purchases in and get that rebate. Because, hey, you know, a little money back is always a good thing. They're doing rebates on uh, the ATM 450, the 230-pack, ATM 710, 250, 610A. Also on the ATM 230, ATM 410, 510, and 650. So make sure you check that out. The banner on the right-hand side will take you down the path to get you to the right place to register. So there it is, the Artist Series rebates from Audio-Technica. Make sure you stop on by audio-technica.com. Of course, there's a lot to see there, a lot of great mics, a lot of great other products, especially headphones. So there it is. Let's get back into it with Camden Stoddard here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. What kind of research do you do when preparing for a game? Do you do any like sonic research or historical research? Um, with regards to sound? Yeah. The last game we did, which was uh, Headlander, I think I spent three months. The only way I would listen to music was on vinyl. And I actually found an 8-track player and started listening to that. So I started listening to how people listened to things in the 70s. We watched a, a ton of science fiction movies from the 70s, really kind of obscure stuff like Dark Star and Silent Running. I started listening to what 70s sound design was like in, in, in the movies, in sci-fi. I actually started finding old 70s uh, hot rods and just going over, you know, like there would be like a, an exhibition or whatever, and I would just sit in the car and kind of look around and like and close the door and listen. And like I just tried to find everything that was from that time period and try and set my head into what that would sound like, how, how it would encompass me. So I, I did a lot of stuff like that. I typically don't get much time to go off-site and go researching, so mostly it's done through computer because I'm just, I have to be here. But yeah, I try to just put my head 
into the game and what all these sounds would be like if it, if it was completely done what would it be like and what where would i find this and how do you balance that research time with the time that you just have to be producing sounds like mm -hmm. gets i mean it'd be great if you could like just take a few months off prior to a game and just go do your research and come back and go all right i got a game plan but that will never that will never happen that's just not gonna happen <laughs> no and i i wish it would but uh in the company my size like that that could never happen one thing that i started doing that was really helpful is i started getting more eyes on research and what we did is we have a slack set up at work i don't know if you're familiar with slack it's it's kind of like a cross between email and Facebook. Like a, it's like an email hybrid with social media. So everybody can come up on the Slack board and do discussion. You can you can set up certain channels. On Headlander, we had a whole bunch of channels based upon you know what what room you were in, what level you were in. We'd have a, a channel just for discussion about that. And one of the things that I was doing was encouraging people. I would tell them, hey, this is what I'm looking at for doing what I'm going to do with sound. If you come across anything interesting, put it on this channel, which they did, which was great. Because all of a sudden I had like, you know, 20 researchers. And it, knowing programmers and animators and, and artists here, they're super creative people. So they're always looking at things. And what I told them was, if you hear anything interesting, I don't care what it is, just ping me. And I will, I will look at it. So I got, I actually got a lot of material out of that. So you crowdsource your research. Exactly. Exactly. Cause we're all like, you know, just crunching on time and don't, I don't have time to go out and go to the Bay or, you know, the East Bay and look at museums or whatever. I, I just can't. I know these people are super smart, super creative. So I'm like, if you find anything interesting, send it my way, which they did. They were really good about it. Interesting. When it comes to sound design I have this image in my head and, and you work with on, on broken age, you worked with uh, Paul O'Rourke uh, yeah. who's actually a former student of mine from Pira mine. When I was yeah. there, yeah. you'll have to tell him hello. I will. Um, so anyways, I imagine like you or Paul, like out with zoom recorders, like capturing stuff and bringing it back. Yeah. In. Oh, one of my favorite things I ever bought was a zoom H six, man, that thing is brilliant. Uh, I did a lot of stuff with that. I actually got a lot of crowd ambience for Broken Age. I went into Chinatown and just recorded the streets for like a day. It was wonderful. The Chinatown's all through Broken Age. But uh, in, because it has switchable modules, switchable module mics, like I would go shotgun, um, XY, whatever, depending on what kind of situation needed what. So yeah, I would pull a lot of stuff. We had a uh, um, they're putting in the new subway right next to our building. So there's been construction for like three years uh, going on like a block from us. So I have all the construction machinery sounds you could want for years. We just we would go out for coffee and we would just set the recorder down and record stuff, which was really fun. Interesting. So do you develop libraries just to mm -hmm. have? And do you take have to take the time to go through and label those? And Yeah. Okay. Not as often as I like, but we, we are curating like an internal double fine library. There's a lot of sounds that we don't use in certain games, so we'll just we'll put it into this library for later or whatever. I try not to recycle. I, I actually I like keeping everything fresh per game. We don't have a, a lot of time to go out and make our own stuff, so a lot of time I've, I've looked for really good sound libraries online. Tonsturm is amazing. I love those guys. I don't know if you are familiar with them. What's the name? Tonsturm. It's T-O-N-S-T-U-R-M. Okay, I don't know about um, that. They're amazing. German German company, uh, Sound Design Library. They do very, very cool high-res libraries of a, of a set sound. One of my favorites of theirs is called Tremor. And what they did is they took a lot of very high-resolution, very professional recordings of train cars. And they were doing a lot of contact mic recording of the sound of the train car when it's moving slowly. So you get just these amazing metal fatigue sounds. They did a lot of electricity recordings, underwater stuff. So we do we do have to pull a lot of library stuff sometime. We try to do our own recording when possible, but there are certain times we just, we can't, we can't do it. So I look for very high-end li libraries that just have a lot of bass sounds like that and then build from there. We do have a 
controlled environment on site. Uh, we have like a whisper booth where if we need something very quick, we'll engineer like impacts or foley or, or clothing sounds or things like that. We've done that a lot. Uh, which has been good. It's been very good to have. I want to talk a little bit about hiring and job seeking advice for those who are listening and thinking, okay, yeah, I've made my decision. I'm going to go out and find myself an audio job at, for a game company. Um, first of all, you know, you work for a company. Um, are there freelance game audio people that are just hired guns known for their great work that just kind of pop in and Oh, yeah. solve problems. Yeah, very, very good ones. Not only sound designers, but there's there's actually like contractor uh, middleware people, which is really interesting. So if you've set up a game and you have your sound design kind of solid, you can actually contract people out who come in for implementation purposes, which is a very interesting field. And I've seen one or two people doing this specifically for that. They'll come in and like, They'll, they'll be like, you know, a total whiz at setting up a WISE project. And like, they'll figure out, okay, this is the best structure for game states. And here's how you have to have all your actor mixers. And like, they'll have all these templates that are just amazing, um, which is a very interesting area for audio. I've, I've only seen that like once or twice, but I'm like, wow, that's, that's interesting. He's not really a sound designer. He's not really a programmer. But I've seen tons and tons of composers, sound, sound designers uh, who contract out. Uh, for sure, uh, especially composers. A lot of composers. It's, there are some companies that have on-site composers, especially big companies. But for the most part, I've just seen people who are hired and come in and they work on this game, like I just did with Dave Earl on Headlander. He was he was contracted out. I have seen some sound designers who contract out as well. Will come in for a certain game project gig, and they'll do like uh, I'm doing the creature sounds for this game, or whatever. Do sound designers or freelance sound designers, do they typically come with a library that you have access to? Typically, I think that's true. I, I've never really used a contracting sound designer. I've talked to a couple, but yeah, typically they have like their own their own rig that they bring in, their own libraries, whatever. You can run into stuff where, uh, especially in bigger companies, like they might be a little shy about that. They may want you to use their stuff only for legal reasons or whatever. I've had people tell me, you know, I, I had all this this stuff, but I got, uh, you know, a job with this company and they really wanted me to use their setup. And I had to kind of adjust for that, so. And then as far as job hunting, can you shed some wisdom on, for audio people who are getting into game sound, some of the preparation that they need to set themselves up for? Typically at... Uh, Game studios, you want everything link ready because these people who are going to listen to your to your stuff, they don't want to you know put a CD into a computer. Don't come in and play something over your phone. I actually had a guy do that. Do not do that. Typically, what they want is like uh, electronic resume, and if you have a reel, they want a link that they can just quickly go to and listen to on their own on their own rig. That is. Uh, that's just the name of the game. Like a lot of times in game companies, people can't leave their office and they're just slammed and they want to be able to, you know, register you through their setup. Like, Oh, here you are. And okay, that sounds great. Maybe this can work out. There's a lot of on-site visits, a lot of on-site interviews. Typically you have to get to know this person. If you're going to be working with them, I can tell you when I'm looking at, a sound designer and they come in and they show me their reel or I listen to their reel, which happened to this person who uh, is coming in. I really want some variety because even with shooters or big, big, you know, monster games, or whatever, there's a lot of variety in the sound. It's not just impacts and shots and stuff. So I want to see, okay, can you do uh, a car? Can you do uh, a whispering effect? Can you do great Foley? Can you do footsteps? When students ask me, you know, what's an impressive sound to you? I tell them, uh, I'm really impressed if you can do good UI. UI is a really, really hard audio assignment on a game. So UI is the sound for the user interface. So like if you pause and you go into the menu page and you're doing all these options or you're seeing, oh, I can buy this item now, there's usually a sound for whatever you click on. Those are really important sounds and they're really hard to do because especially if it's running through game all the time, like you shoot something and you get a score point or something appears. 
those sounds are really hard because they happen all the time. They can't be distracting. They can't be grating on your ear. And you could hear them a thousand times in the game. That's hard sound design, to make a sound that fits all of that. It's like a small sound. It's out of the way. It's not distracting. You know it's there, and it's calling your attention to something, but it's not distracting you. That's hard. So I'm like, if you can do uh, a good UI sound, I'm interested. Then we can talk further. On the hiring process, in terms of, uh, are they typically contract positions or salaried positions, or is it just... Does, it just depends. It depends on the company. For Double Fine, it's, it usually starts on contract. I haven't really seen too many people who just come in and they're outright hand, you know, hired as uh, full-time on salary. Uh, a lot of the people who've come in here uh, have been through contract. Uh, it's tricky with game companies because you, uh, you not only don't know how many people you're going to need on a game sometimes, but you don't know if that game is going to really make it all the way through. We've had games get canceled or things get pulled. So a lot of times, you know, the people in charge of hiring, they're not too quick to hire somebody outright because typically it's a game is, uh, it's, it's a little tricky to know if it's going to make it all the way through the cycle. That's why we have multiple games going all the time in case one gets pulled or canceled. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Camden. I appreciate you coming on, and this is fantastic information. I think it's uh, fascinating for those of us who make records or even those who are in the world of film, audio, and it's, it's always great to get a different perspective and a different viewpoint or a different concept of how audio can be uh, your job. And uh, game sound is such an intriguing thing, for, I think, for a lot of those especially those of us who are not in game sound. So mm, I think mm. I got to thank you. Thanks so much, man. I really, I really appreciate it. I, I love this. I love this show. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. Camden Stoddard here on the Working Class Audio Podcast, giving us the skinny on game audio sound. Holy moly. I tell you, if you make records and then you hear about that, that's just a whole nother world. A lot of possibilities there, a lot of creativity, a lot of pressure, a lot of intensity, but I guess, you know, it all depends on the situation. So anyways, great information. I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did as well. I want to thank Camden for his time, but it's also time to say thank you to everybody else. I, uh, of course, want to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdell, Mr. Chuck Smith, and Mr. Cole Williams. Thank you for your help on the show, and I want to thank our sponsors, Kiersluts.com, Focal Monitors, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. I want to, of course, thank you all for listening. As usual, I appreciate the time you take. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.